Welcome to the next episode of the Brio in the Box podcast. Um, today's episode is brought to you by Brio Plus, our own brand of custom formulated small batch crafted supplements. We're featuring our vitamin K2 plus D3. So vitamin K2 is the master regulator of calcium in the body. So vitamin D3 facilitates the transport of calcium across the gut barrier. Once it's in you, vitamin K2 is what directs it where it needs to go. So when vitamin K2 is missing in the diet, um, calcium accumulates in the soft tissue. So you get like atherosclerotic plaques, like heart disease, um, kidney stones, bone spurs, you know, like um, painful uh, crystallized things in your tendon and your joints and stuff. K2 directs it where it should go, which is into your bone matrix, into your teeth, you know, helps you have like healthy calcium balance. Calcium also plays a, or vitamin K2 also plays a really key role in uh, production of your sex hormones. So it helps support testosterone. We're going to talk about muscle quite a bit today. Helps support proper testosterone production in men. Also helps support proper androgen balance in women, especially women that suffer from PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome, which is an imbalance in uh, androgens to estrogens. Um, it supports the process of how your cells make energy. So it supports your athletic performance and cardiovascular output and all that kind of stuff. So vitamin K2 is super important. Uh, this is the only vitamin that we chose to develop because it's one that's um, grossly missing in the modern food supply. It should be in the fat of grass-fed animals. They eat the green grass, their gut bacteria ferments vitamin K1 into the animal form vitamin K2, and then it's in their butter and their, their fat. Um, most animals now are grain-fed, so unless you're really spending the extra bucks to buy grass-fed butter, grass-fed beef, you're probably deficient in vitamin K2. So that's why it's one of the, the few that we do supplement with. I prefer to get nutrients from food, yeah. but just as a function of the way the modern food system exists now, there just are some that are difficult right. to get from food. Get it in, yeah. Mm-hmm. So this is part three. Part three. Of our three-part series on mm-hmm. how to be successful in CrossFit. Yeah. We talked about the mindset in part one that you need your various stages. We talked about um, how to get fitter. Yeah. Which was? Try harder. Just try harder. (laughs) (laughs) We spent 40 minutes talking about how to try harder. We just said it over and over. Just try harder. (laughs) Just try harder. Just try harder. (laughs) So in part three, we're going to talk about how to get leaner. Leaner. So better body composition. Six pack abs. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. Um, (laughs) I want to point out that I specifically said how to get leaner and I did not call this one how to lose weight. Mm -hmm. That's a different thing. That's a, an important distinction because what I mean by getting leaner is more lean tissue. So that's your muscle and your bones and your connective tissue and all that stuff and less unnecessary body fat, achieving a healthy amount of body fat. You need some body fat. You can't have none. Um, So for some people, getting leaner, i.e. more lean body mass, less fat mass, they might already be quite skinny, not a lot of fat. And so for them, getting leaner means more muscle. Maybe we're adding 10 pounds on the scale to to increase the proportion of lean body mass to their existing healthy amount of fat mass. So for some people, it might be getting heavier, Mm -hmm. might not necessarily mean getting lighter. Right. So I wanted to be specific about that in the start. Um, for a lot of people, it is going to mean losing excess body fat, but we kind of want this balance of like decreasing unnecessary amount of fat and and also increasing muscle. So this is more of a, like, 
average Joe, you're kind of 20 to 30 pounds within your ideal weight. Maybe you got a little bit of a dad bod or something. It's not like a super overweight person. It's not like a CrossFit Games athlete. This is like your average person. What do we need to do to to lean out, mm-hmm. feel better in your in your skin? Yeah. So we're not talking about a 600 pound person experiencing extreme metabolic chaos and needing more, you know, psychological interventions from an addiction perspective. Mm-hmm. That's a whole separate can of worms. We're not talking about CrossFit Games level super physiologic levels of human performance and all the things they do to support that. Yeah. Talking about normal people, (laughs) the average person you would see when you walk in any CrossFit gym anywhere at or close to a healthy body weight within maybe 20 to 30 pounds, like you said. Yeah. So conventionally it's always been calories in calories out. You got to measure and weigh and, you know, track your steps and all, all that Mm -hmm. kind of stuff. Like where, where are we at with that? I like again yesterday literally saw another person in the nutrition and health space say caloric balance is the foundation of good nutrition. Mm. Ugh. <laughs> Triggered. <laughs> <laughs> if you if you've been to my nutrition 101 course, you know I spend an entire module breaking down the truth and myth contained within the calories in calories out yeah. hypothesis. Cuz um, in theory like the science makes sense. Right. Like if you simplify the equation down to like basic physics, it makes sense. But there's just there's more to it. Right. Okay, so, yeah, there's kind of like two opposing camps. There's the people that are like it's all about calories in versus calories out. Any diet that works works because it gets you, you know, to eat less or whatever. It, mm-hmm. it, it achieves a, a certain type of caloric balance. And then there's the other people that are like um, often the misunderstanding is people think they're saying that calories don't matter. Right which is not, that's a straw man argument from the, the calories in, calories out people. Kaiko, they call it, C-I-C-O. Um, no one on earth is saying that calories don't exist right. or that calories aren't a thing or whatever. They matter. They, they exist. Well, okay. What's a calorie? It's a yeah. unit of measurement. It's a unit of measurement for energy. You put something in a bomb calorimeter, you combust it, it creates a it releases a certain amount of energy as heat. Mm-hmm. It heats up water in the surrounding area of the little bomb thing. You measure the change in the temperature of water. It's just a unit of measurement. Right. It's not a molecule. It's not measurable or observable, or it's not observable under a microscope or anything like that. So it's like a meter or whatever. Yeah, it's a human invented okay. unit yeah. of measurement. So yeah. it would make no sense to say it doesn't exist. Yeah, it, it exists because we all believe it exists. It's just a unit of measurement. Yeah. So sure, if you gain or lose weight, we could measure the amount of energy gained or lost from that system. Sure. So if somebody loses a pound, they did actually burn 3,500 calories. Mm -hmm. It's just that there's a whole complicated system that led to that 3,500 calories being burned. So when someone says, how do I lose weight? And you go, oh, well, you just need to like eat less than you expend. Mm -hmm. You're like, well, yeah, that's like, like... the definition of the thing yeah. like we just said of like, like losing the weight dumbed down version <laughs> like but also so it's true but also entirely useless mm-hmm. to tell someone that in the same way that if i came to you and i said hey david i want to run a marathon how am i going to do it and if you said you're going to run 26.2 miles i would be like <laughs> yeah fucker you just stated <laughs> the definition of a mile or oh. of a marathon you know <laughs> i'd be like yes i know that you have to run 26.2 miles. It's literally just the definition of a marathon. You didn't mm-hmm. tell me anything useful. What you told me was true. 
It's true. Yeah. To run a marathon, you have to run 26.2 miles. But you didn't tell me anything useful about how. Right. How to go about creating the conditions under which I would be capable of running 26.2 miles. Right. Because so. anybody that's never ran before, that just ran, would have a very hard time running 26.2 miles. Yeah, exactly. So when we say... Clearly, I'm not in the calories or the be-all, end-all of everything. (laughs) Have I let my bias show through here? Yes, I think. Um, So the whatever we want to call this, the complete picture, the hormonal approach, um, it's not at the exclusion. It's not like a Venn diagram where the calories model is over here and Mm -hmm. the camp I'm in is over here. It's that the camp I'm in encompasses the calories and the caloric balance. Of course, it has to. It's just a unit of measurement. So we're going to free ourselves from the calorie as a variable of concern. It's going to be a measurement on the outcome. Right. That's all that matters. It's not going to be a variable of concern on the input. Um, So we're going to talk about how we would like to move more, burn more, use more energy, and take in less energy. Yeah. We're going to talk about how. How are we going to do that? Without wanting to hang ourselves or pull (laughs) our hair out. For the long term in a sustainable way. There are a ton of things that can get you to lose weight in the short term. Yeah. Chemotherapy yeah. will get you to lose weight. Not ideal. Not ideal. Yeah. Right? Not a way that we would recommend. It will get you to it will get you to weigh less on the scale. Methamphetamine. <laughs> Methamphetamine. They sure. tend to be pretty lean. Yeah. So yeah, if we if our only measurement of success is a number on the scale, it's gonna send us off on on a wild ride of of doing some things that are not supportive or right. of our long term health. So we're looking for things that work. Yeah to expend more and take in less, shift that balance. We're looking for things that do that in the long term. Right. Not a crash diet. Not a crash diet. And we're looking for things that do that the easiest, lowest effort way. Yeah. Is that fair to say? Because really when it comes down to it, the hardest part of a diet is sticking to it, mm-hmm. right? When it's 100% on your ability to you know, do it every day, like, that's the hardest part. Yeah. So we want it to happen as easily as possible, like autopilot mode with as little willpower and force as possible. So of those variables we were just talking about, we would like to increase energy expenditure. Okay. We'd like to burn more. Are we going to burn more? Well, we can do it by force, which is hours and hours and hours of cardio. Yeah. And that's the traditional like bodybuilder approach. Yeah. I was there. Yeah. Back in the day before CrossFit, two hours on the stupid elliptical machine and whatever, just trying to burn those calories. Yep. But instead of thinking about how many calories does this activity burn, we should think about what adaptation does this activity cause. Okay. So we can burn calories by force, like long, slow cardio, or we could burn calories all the time, yep. sitting here every minute of the day. Which one sounds easier? <laughs> I'm burning calories right now. So what burns calories at rest is muscle. Okay. Muscle does the heavy lifting of your metabolism. Muscle is metabolically active tissue. It um, supports what you want on the expenditure side of that calories in, calories out model. So we want to do training. The training adaptation we want are things that increase our muscle mass, increase lean body mass. So from a training perspective... Uh, we have to lift heavy things. Yeah. So you do all the programming at yep. Brio. What are the principles of good athletic programming that support muscle growth? Um, you need to lift heavy. 
you need to take rest in between Mm -hmm. in order to lift heavy. Mm -hmm. You can't do too much volume or it just turns into more stamina than, than strength. Mm -hmm. Um, and you can't do it all the time. Um, if you lift heavy every single day, it's just Mm -hmm. overdoing it. Um, and then you need to prioritize movements that allow you to move long or large loads a long distance quickly. Mm -hmm. Right. So we're going to prioritize a back squat or a deadlift over a shoulder fly or a, you know, bicep curl or something like that. No one has ever like done a one rep max bicep curl that was like all their body could manage. And, you know, they fell on the floor, just completely exhausted. Whereas you have those like one rep max deadlifts where your body just wants to shut down afterwards because it's just so, you know, hard on your, your CNS system. Mm -hmm. So, uh, compound movements, compound movements, large loads, full body, multi-joint, multi-joint. Those are like the definitions of functional movements. Yeah. Um, do you get stronger by maxing out every day? No, unfortunately, no. (laughs) That is the fun part, right? Testing. Yeah. We always talk about like training versus testing, right? Mm So, um, use the deadlift for example people love dropping deadlifts right i lifted it up i'm going to drop it back down when you back squat you have to do the negative before you get to like contract and stand up so you're getting a lot of the benefit from that lift by lowering down and then standing up so if with if you're deadlifting and all you do is pick it up and drop it down you're you're missing out on half the the benefit of that lift so when you're training you're you're generally doing multiple reps at certain percentages and you're incrementally adding as you go in more volume or more weight or whatever but you need to do some numbers you need to do some threes and some fives and you know whatever mm-hmm. make make for those uncomfortable sets instead of that nice challenging one that's super exciting yeah. and that's kind of the hallmark of strength programming yeah in that kind of three to five rep range yeah um for maximum like strength and muscle growth yeah um but like you said can't train that heavy that hard every single day no we sprinkle in the strength training you know a few days a week, but not, yeah. not every single day. For Depending sure. on the time of year, it's like two to four days a week. We'll throw a heavy barbell around mm-hmm. and then we'll also incorporate some heavy stuff into the, the wads as well, mm-hmm. but just moving heavy objects around. Yeah. So full body, multi-joint, um, compound exercise, compound from your big muscles, your yeah. big movers, your butt, your back, shoulders, yeah. the big ones. Um, and then all the things in your recovery, we kind of talked a bit, quite a bit about that in the, the part two of this series of things that support muscle growth. Um, so your nutrition, mm-hmm. prioritizing, um, especially the like highly nutritious red meat because it yep. comes with not only the protein, but like heme iron and creatine and carnitine and choline yep. and B vitamins and zinc and like all the good things that help you support your muscle growth. All the things they sell in supplements are found in red meat. <laughs> just eat a steak. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just eat more steak. Yeah, you don't have to take carnitine. You don't have to take branched-chain amino acids. Yeah. Just eat meat, um, egg yolks. And then, you know, we were talking about the like um, – building blocks of your your sex hormones testosterone being the big one there um other hormones that support good muscle growth and repair growth hormone you get that from um keeping your insulin levels nice and low and balanced you get that from a good night's sleep um you get that from um a diet free of lots of processed foods soy is particularly suppressive to testosterone and growth hormone doesn't Um, it increase your estrogen estrogen, levels yeah, yeah so it's like a estrogen mimicker phytoestrogens and soy um so yeah we're supporting muscle to burn more calories all the time to do it on autopilot yeah which is that's what we want right we said we're going to try to do these things the easier way so is your body temperature a good indicator 
of that process? Ooh, good question. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> good question, David. Riley. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, yes, that's a simple thing with like a little thermometer you can buy from Shoppers Drug Mart for like 10 or 20 bucks. You can take your body temperature, same time of day. You got to do it consistently because mm-hmm. your body temperature fluctuates throughout the day. Um, if you have a consistently low body temperature, normal should be 98.6 degrees mm-hmm. Fahrenheit, but it varies. That's like. Do you know how I remember that? How do you remember that? The band, 98 degrees. Oh. Yeah. Interesting. I, there used to be a commercial for gum they had. <laughs> do you remember that? No. <laughs> okay, never mind. I just remember it from boy bands, like, <laughs> like a normal human. <laughs> so. Like the band, your body temperature <laughs> should be 98 degrees. But some people, when they take their body temperature, will be like low 90s, like maybe even 88, 89. Wow. That's a sign of like a severely depressed metabolism where mm-hmm. um, it's it's almost like a form of hibernation called torpor, um, where your body has gone into like a metabolic down regulation. So really not burning a lot of energy at rest. So taking your body temperature every day can be just like a really straightforward way to monitor that. That's mm-hmm. a good one. Okay. So what allows us to burn more calories all the time is strength training, prioritizing. The cool thing about strength training is you don't have to do it that much. Yeah. Whereas like the chronic cardio option is so time consuming. Yeah. And so taxing and stressful on the body and down regulates your immune system and down regulates your muscle mass. And like all you get all these like negative things. So you're trying to burn calories by force. Yeah. But then the adaptation that that causes is your body wants to get more efficient yeah. at that activity that you're spending a lot of time at. So say you're like running, you like go run and run and run for hours a day. Well, what's your body going to do? We're going to decrease insulin sensitivity. We're going to try to do that work with the least amount of calories possible. We're going to get rid of muscle mass because just extra bulk to carry yeah. around. So you end the adaptation that it causes is you actually burn less calories the rest of the time. So even if you manage to carve out the time to two or three hours of cardio a day, yeah, you're burning less calories the other 21 or 22 hours of the day. So. And if you see some of the ultra marathon runners who are running like 40 hours a week, like they're not large people. They're like skeletons running around, you yeah. know, like they look Cause they, sick. Why would you want to have any more yeah. muscle on you? It's yeah. just more bulk to carry. All the like weight. Kenyan runners, they're like incredible they're small, so, tall, yeah. thin, you know, yeah. like they're built for that sport. Specialists. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So then we're maximizing the, we're stoking the furnace. Muscle okay. is the furnace, basically. Muscle the furnace. It allows you to do work so that you want to go around in your life and be more energetic and do lots of things. So we're prioritizing strength training and therefore muscle mass. Okay. We're deprioritizing um, chronic cardio to prevent energy storage so when energy comes in eh, watch out for that (laughs) energy comes into the body food calories whatever it can go one of two directions it can go into storage for use at a later time so that's your fat tissue or it can get directed to be used for energy to support all of the functions of life so like your basic organs and your brain and your muscles doing exercise and all that kind of stuff so we've got expenditure and we've got storage we obviously want that switch, that pathway to go towards expenditure. We would, we're trying not to have more energy being put into storage into our fat tissue. The major hormone that controls energy storage is insulin. Yeah. There's like eight different hormones that stimulate releasing energy out of your fat tissue and stuff. There's only one that stimulates storage and that one trumps all the others. Yeah. 
insulin's like the king, the big dog that suppresses the other, blocks the function of the other eight. Right. Insulin is secreted uniquely in uniquely high amounts in response to dietary carbohydrates, in response to high blood sugar. Yeah. Blood sugar, very tightly regulated process in the body. You have a very tiny amount of sugar in in circulation all the time. You need some. It's about four grams, about the equivalent of one sugar cube in a healthy size, average size adult. Yeah. If that blood sugar doubles to eight grams, that's a problem. If it triples to like 12 grams in circulation, it's like a five alarm fire. Like it can't get that high. Blood glucose that high, it's, you know, like think of sugar. It's like a crystal little substance. It's very damaging to the microvasculature, the small little blood vessels and capillaries. So particularly in your fingers and toes, your eyes, um, and like the microvasculature of your brain. So high blood sugar, bad thing. So when you eat carbohydrate, high foods, your blood sugar goes up. And so your body releases insulin to deal with that blood sugar. Mm-hmm. So insulin's like the delivery driver, picks up the sugar. Um, insulin activates cell surface insulin receptors, which I don't need to geek out on the biochem <laughs> here, but um, it brings something called a GLUT4 transporter to the cell surface. And GLUT4 is like this little channel. It opens up and allows the sugar to go into the cells. So we're talking like muscle cells, organ cells, brain cells, where we want to use sugar for energy. So um, it gets packed away. If your brain is good, doesn't need any, if your organs are fine, they're topped up, if your muscles aren't doing any exercise, then the sugar always goes to the fat cells. Right. It gets converted into fatty acids, triglycerides, and stored for later. Right. So, so there is a benefit to insulin because it does help refuel muscles or brain or whatever might yeah. be needed. Yeah. So but any leftover residual is always put into fat storage. Yeah. So insulin, super high insulin causes you to gain body fat and stops you from being able to release any fat out of your fat tissue. Right. But it also, it's a growth factor all around. So it also can help your muscles grow. It can deliver amino acids to the muscles. Mm-hmm. We can also do that via another pathway that doesn't involve insulin though. So it, not everything is a hundred percent bad. Yeah. There's always like some purpose or some benefit to certain things. So insulin in certain situations can be valuable intermittent in low doses yeah what is very damaging is chronic high hyper insulinemia means Mm -hmm. too much insulin in the blood right so how do we keep insulin levels low notice i'm not saying zero yeah low and healthy well the number one most important thing is we reduce blood glucose excursions we try to avoid eating things that spike your blood sugar a ton and, and force you to secrete a whole bunch of insulin right um so you keep carb intake low and infrequent or intermittent right once in a while whole unprocessed foods have their carbohydrates all kind of bound up in a matrix so it just takes your digestive system longer to break off the glucose and get it into your bloodstream so the the rate at which they hit your blood is much slower the slope is much lower versus a refined or processed like flour you know refined carbohydrates just go yeah because they're they're in your bloodstream before you even swallow <laughs> like your yeah. salivary amylase is breaking them down before it's even it's pure sugar before it even hits your guts and there's a like i think a lot of people have heard that post-workout you need to cram yourself full of a bunch of carbs to refuel your muscles mm-hmm. right and for like a crossfit games athlete who has another event you know in an hour or whatever, like you need to expedite that process as, as much as possible. Mm-hmm. But for a random guy, like there's no rush on that process, right? Like mm-hmm. it can take 
until the next workout, which could be a day or so. Yeah. So glycogen is how your body stores carbohydrate. You have a very teeny tiny fuel tank to store carbohydrate, store glycogen. It's about a hundred grams in the liver and maybe four to 500 grams in the muscle tissue. Glycogen is just a, a storage form of glucose. The little bit that's in your liver, your body can spit out in between meals to keep blood sugar stable. The amount that's in your muscles is not available um, to be used. Like it doesn't make its way into your bloodstream. It's not available for the brain. It's only in your muscles for, it's like rocket fuel. Right. For super high intensity sprint, max power output type, like fight or flight type yeah. thing. So it's like a backup reserve fuel for the most high intensity things. When you do high intensity training, you're going to tap into some of that glycogen. You're going to mm-hmm. deplete that fuel tank in your muscles a little bit. Um, so there's a few things that need to happen there. You need to sprint in the first place. Right. <laughs> we spent a whole episode last time talking about trying harder. Right. You have to try hard. Yeah. To, you have to be working at high intensity. It's called anaerobic where you're working without oxygen. And it's in a time frame that can only last from like 10 seconds to maybe two minutes. And right. it's the one that leaves you like in the fetal position on the floor. Yeah. So you have to do that in the first place. Sprinting is awesome. Yeah. Sprinting primes your cells, your muscle cells to take up glucose. And actually, if you sprint hard, it primes your cells to do it via a different glucose transporter called GLUT1 that does not need insulin. Mm. So you can give, you can tolerate more carbohydrate, more starch or glucose if you sprint hard. So when you try harder, you can tolerate a bit more glucose and you can tolerate it without causing a big insulin bolus. If you do, let's say an hour long CrossFit class, Mm -hmm. how, like what percentage of your, if you're sprinting, like you're going hard, you're hitting it hard. What percentage do you think you would drain out of your glycogen stores? Mm. Like maybe 50% or less? Yeah. And I think probably it, that's going to be bad news. (laughs) (laughs) It's like for most people and at the intensity that most people work, not much, honestly. Um, but if you learn to try harder and you learn to really give a shit, you can, you can increase that. As you started to talk about your body will replenish muscle glycogen without dietary carbohydrate within 24 hours. Right. So if you work out once a day or less, you do not need to worry about replenishing muscle glycogen. Right. It will happen on its own. It happens on its own. Your body takes care of that for you. We can talk about the pathways. It doesn't really matter. You just need to know it happens. A day later, you would not be glycogen depleted anymore. Mm -hmm. So if somebody is looking more to lean out or lose weight, those carbs, especially if they're not put into glycogen stores, are just going to end up going back into body fat, those extra carbs you're eating post-workout. Yeah. So you've just increased your insulin, blocked your lipolysis. It's called when you break down your body fat for energy. You've blocked your ability to use your body fat. So you just got yourself sort of stuck in this circle thing. Right. Um, so we're going to keep carb in, carbohydrate intake low and infrequent. And especially if you have more body fat to use up, you really do not need to make that carbohydrate intake very frequent at all. Right. If you're already at a pretty um, low or stable amount of body fat, healthy amount of body fat, you can increase that carbohydrate frequency to maybe once a day. Right. Um, where other people might need to go once every three days, once every week, yeah. maybe a few days out of every month or just seasonally. Or I mean, if we get all the way out to the, the far end of the bell curve, like we were talking about, it's like never. Yeah. Um, if you so used up your lifetime amount of carbs. Yeah. So you can use them strategically depending on how close you are to yeah. your ideal amount of body fat. 
for me. And is, how often you're training. Yeah. A, a competitive athlete training twice a day, definitely going to need to replenish muscle glycogen exogenously. They're going to need to eat that carbohydrate right. to do it. If you're training once a day or less, like three or four or five days a week, you, there's, you don't need to. Yeah. It's, like for me, I've, I've always found that if I've fallen off the wagon and I haven't been training and I want to get back onto the wagon, if I like fairly low carb, no carb almost for the whole week. And then on Saturdays I carb up, I will still start leaning out quickly. Mm -hmm. It works really well for me. So it's not like I'm never eating carbs. I just only eat it once, maybe twice a week. Mm -hmm. And then the closer I get to, you know, my ideal body weight, which I don't want to be too low. I tend to lose weight too quickly. If I don't have carbs enough, I'll start to every like in the evening I'll have some carbs or at least every other day or something mm -hmm. just so it's like a more frequent fuel or carb up um, yeah. just to stop the process of like getting smaller and, yeah. and leaning out. So I just like for me, it's like I have a hard time eating enough of the fat and protein, right? Like I can only eat so much steak in a sitting mm -hmm. as much as I love it and it's delicious. It's like I can't eat 20 ounces of steak. So you and I are kind of the opposite. You're like, the lean hard gainer you're mm -hmm. like naturally lower skinny. body lean, skinny skinny guy trim david, trim david. <laughs> <laughs> i am the opposite um dummy thick <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basically i gain all kinds of weight super easy so yeah. i can gain muscle really easily which is great but i can also gain fat super easily which is not ideal so um i have to play to my strengths there and, mm -hmm. and play to building more muscle and be careful um with my affinity so you, for building body like fat. you've done longer duration um like carnivore or keto mm -hmm. whereas i usually don't do more than a week or two yeah without carbs and then when we replenish with carbs the specific type so we're favoring starch which is just chains of glucose yeah as opposed to sugar sugar is 50 percent like sucrose table sugar is a 50 50 molecule of a glucose and a fructose yeah so it's half and half so it's only half glucose what replenishes your muscle glycogen is only the glucose part. The part, you know, blood glucose is what you can use for energy. Fructose, you cannot directly metabolize for energy. It has to go through the liver. It goes from your digestive system through the portal vein directly to the liver. It doesn't go into circulation. So actually, if you pricked your finger and measured your blood glucose after eating white bread, the blood glucose response would be higher than if you ate pure sugar. Which a lot of people are like, what? I thought like, you know, we're talking about blood sugar. I just ate pure sugar. Right. How can it be that it doesn't raise my blood sugar as much as, as like a piece of bread or white yeah. rice or something? Um, but it's because the bread is 100% glucose and the sugar is 50% glucose, 50% fructose. Fructose in small amounts seasonally is fine. Mm -hmm. There's like a small capacity in your digestive system to like metabolize it and whatever. In high amounts, in refined high amounts, concentrations, particularly liquid form, yeah. juice or soda, same thing. One has bubbles, but they're <laughs> interchangeable, identical sugar yeah. content. Um, fructose has a bunch of particular metabolic signaling properties. So if we think of when fructose is available in the environment, it's the fall, late summer, fall. What is that a signal that's coming? It's time to bulk up. Winter's coming, yeah. right? The line, winter is coming. So your genes take this information from the environment and go, oh, a lot of fructose. Winter's coming. Time to bulk up. Yeah. Time to gain some fat because we're going to need it for the winter. Right. So fructose is a, is a genetic signal that switches on a bunch of programs. It um, increases 
the size of your gut on contact. It literally causes your gut to expand on contact so that you can pack more food in you. Right. So it makes more space, literally makes your guts bigger. It acts on the hypothalamus to increase your appetite, increases ghrelin, the hormone that makes you feel hungry. So it, it literally allows you to eat more, signals you to want to eat more. It decreases the amount of available energy. So the energy currency of the human body is ATP, adenosine triphosphate. ATP breaks off one of the phosphates, high energy bond, makes energy. Now you have energy, uh, ATP, adenosine diphosphate. Now you have two, break off the second one. Now you have AMP, adenosine monophosphate. What you do with that AMP, it can go one of two pathways. It can get recycled and have the phosphates put back on. And then you, now you have a, a new molecule of ATP to use for energy again. So the, um, the, the thing that does that is called AMPK, AMP kinase, which put kinase means like the kinases are builders. They put the phosphates back on, or it can go AMPD, AMPD aminase, where that get, that whole molecule gets broken down and recycled and taken out. So the, um, adenosine backbone, it's like a purine. It just gets excreted, excreted through the kidney. So you have these two pathways, AMPK, and you might notice in like some supplements now, if you're really deep into that world, AMPK activators are a big thing right now. Mm-hmm. Things that help you recycle your energy into new energy. Sounds like a good thing, right? Versus AMPD leaves less energy available, which if it's fall and you're trying to bulk up for winter makes sense, right? You wouldn't right. want to be very energetic. You wouldn't want to move around too much. So fructose upregulates AMPD, leaves you less cellular energy available. Okay. Um, so in a bunch of ways that it makes your guts bigger, increases your appetite, gives you less energy available. Even like we were talking about body temperature, lowers yeah. body temperature. Makes you hungry and lethargic. Yeah, it makes you hungry and lethargic. Makes you like put you in energy storage mode, like right. sort of a, a pre-hibernation type thing, which isn't a bad thing mm-hmm. if we think of the evolutionary context that that came from. Yeah. So the better we are at responding to the environmental signal of fructose, the more likely we were to survive the winter. Right. So if you're like, oh man, I eat sugar and I just get so fat so fast, you're like, well, yeah, those are those were good genes. Yeah. <laughs> A few hundred years ago, those were survival genes. Those right. helped you a lot. What we have now, winter, we are constantly preparing for a winter that never comes. Mm-hmm. We're constantly in like hibernation, pre-hibernation mode. Yeah. We need to balance that out. We need to not eat pure refined fructose. Yeah. We need to make it seasonal, make it intermittent. We need to experience periods of metabolic or nutritional winter yeah. to, to keep the balance. And for me, like I, I can eat some potatoes or rice or something starchy in the evening and I'm fine like mm-hmm. I'm good to go but if I have like sugar cookies whatever like I just want to keep eating them yeah I'm more of an abstainer so when I do dabble in those types of things it's very hard for me to not yeah. eat all of them yeah you're not eating two cookies or eating 12 yeah <laughs> They're all good. so yeah eating the right things strategically right strategically right. using some some starches yeah. to support our our muscle and performance but not in a way that it triggers like low energy fat storage um, fructose in the liver is the most um, lipogenic the creation of new fat lipogenesis so fructose of all the carbohydrates gets converted to fat um, the fastest or the most efficiently so excess fructose like sugar juice and soda mm-hmm gives you fatty liver disease, excess accumulation of fat in the liver, um, which used to be exclusively a disease associated with alcoholism. Mm. And so now we have to call it something else. 
it's NAFLD, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, but actually the pathway that you metabolize ethanol, alcohol, is pretty similar in the liver to how you metabolize fructose. They're mm. both equally toxic in, in more than small amounts and lead to the same disease, which is fatty liver disease. So right. fructose is essentially alcohol, <laughs> basically. So off on another tangent, it's wild that we feed kids as much sugar as we do, yeah. and sugar is like the alcohol of the child, but right. that's a rant for another day. I'll save that for another podcast. So we're, if we've accumulated excess body fat... We've prepared for winter. Yeah. We need to let winter come right. a little bit. So what's winter? Periods of fasting. Right. A little bit of intermittent fasting helps. Low insulin allows you to liberate some fat out of your fat tissue. Use it for energy. You know, use it up. An underappreciated fact is that what's in your fat tissue is a triglyceride. Three fatty acids on a glycerol backbone. So when you liberate three fatty acids through lipolysis, you also liberate a glycerol backbone, which glycerol, glucose, similar, goes to the liver and gets converted to glucose. So for every three fatty acids you release, you also gain a, a glucose molecule. So mm -hmm. even if you're not eating anything or even if you're eating a low-carbohydrate diet, you are still supplying your cells with the glucose that's needed. There's multiple pathways that your body makes as much glucose as needed. Yeah. And from your own fat is one of them. And that's why like an Inuit population that would eat entirely fat and meat mm -hmm. can still survive yeah even though there's like technically parts of your body that need carbs right yeah for sure your red blood cells the astrocytes of your brain they don't have mitochondria they can only run on glucose mm -hmm. so glucose is totally not essential from the diet or we could think of it as so essential like you can't have zero blood glucose for even a few minutes mm -hmm. um it's so essential that we have an endogenous process to make sure that we always have yeah. as much sugar as needed so it's called gluconeogenesis, creation of new sugar. Um, you do that from the glycerol backbone of your of your fat. You can do that from lactate, which is a, a byproduct of energy metabolism. When you sprint hard and you're like, mm. ah, my legs are burning, and it's the lactic acid buildup. Right. As you you teach your body to get better at processing that metabolic waste product into a usable fuel source, it gets turned back into into usable fuel, which is partially what we do in CrossFit is we're right. training our lactate threshold or lactate system, um, and certain amino acids. So there are some, not all amino acids that can also get turned into sugar. Right. So you're good. Basically. Like if you're like, Oh, I, I heard you need like X amount of carbs. Your brain needs carbs. Like, yep. Yeah. Yeah, true. Not as much as people would have you believe. Yeah. And even if you don't get it from the diet, your body's got your back. Right. You're good. Um, other things that prevent energy storage, sleep, good quality sleep, not enough sleep, inadequate sleep, decreases insulin sensitivity, which means it takes more insulin to get the job done, increases your craving for easy energy. So that's like processed food, carbs and sugar. Um, and for me, it's like if I eat processed food at night, like if we have pizza or something bad, mm -hmm. I'll sleep worse that yeah. night. <laughs> and then the next day I'll be groggy and lethargic and feel gross. So I'll just like want to eat more of the junky stuff. Mm -hmm. But then that's the vicious cycle that people yeah. get into. Yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, the, these things don't exist independent of each right. other. They're all very much related. So um, preventing energy storage, keeping insulin low. We do that by um, strategically keeping your carbo in, carbohydrate intake as low as possible to support lean body mass and performance, mm -hmm. um, which can be anywhere from zero to more. Um, infrequent, so Letting there be periods of low insulin. Yeah. 
and periods of like no food. We touched a little bit on fasting. Yeah, like, fasting. Like what's what's a reasonable amount of fasting time? At a minimum, you need twelve hours Each from day. your last meal at night, from dinner to breakfast the next morning. Minimum yeah. twelve hours. And I think that throws people off. They think, oh, that's like so long. But like, if you have breakfast at eight in the morning and you are still eating after 8 p.m., like that's mm-hmm. a lot of eating time, you know, like that's a big window of eating. Yeah. So it should be reasonable. You have dinner at maybe seven. Yeah. You have breakfast at 7 a.m. the next day. That should be reasonable. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a minimum. Minimum 12 hours. If you can make that more like 14 or 16, that's ideal. Yeah. Um, so then the sort of 16 and 8 is a pretty common intermittent fasting. Um, fast for 16 hours, eat for eight hours. Most people that I'm familiar with that eat like good quality animal-based whole unprocessed food diet, they tend to drift towards two big meals a day. Yeah. I don't know of very many people that eat real food that feel like they need to eat more than yeah. more than twice a day. So it, it becomes more natural to just kind of like lunch and dinner, coffee, water in the morning kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so that tends to be when you eat real food. It seems to be more of a natural rhythm. Yeah. Um, we touched on this a little bit, preventing energy storage of avoiding chronic cardio, yeah. which is basically if we talk about like evolutionary signals, especially if you're pairing chronic cardio with not enough food, like a calorically restricted diet or especially a low fat diet, what, it, what kind of signal is that, right? We said, we're going to ask ourselves the question of not how many calories does this burn, but what is the adaptation being caused by this behavior? Mm-hmm. While your genes read that as clearly you're just wandering the plains looking for food you're not finding enough food yeah so this is clearly a time of food scarcity and so the adaptation to tons of like moderate intensity exercise and not enough food is um to downregulate your metabolism Mm -hmm. again with like your body is smart your genes are smart they're highly adapted so when people are like i've damaged my metabolism from dieting no you didn't you adapted your metabolism. Right. Your metabolism did exactly what you told it to do, right. which was survive a period of food scarcity, right? So right. Um, calorically, metabolically expensive processes start to go. You catabolize muscle mass. Don't need that. Burns too much energy. Um, immune function. Your immune system is tremendously energy intensive. Immune function goes down. Um, non-essential processes like in females like fertility menstruation goes away don't need to do that right now don't need to you know put any energy into like trying to make a person Mm -hmm. Um, so all of these like things start to go out the window body temperature goes down we're just burning less energy we're making less heat right we're sort of like getting into conservation mode from all different methods and so your body will bring energy expenditure down to match energy intake and if you force energy expenditure through a lot of chronic cardio your body forces right. energy conservation through multiple other mechanisms. Interesting. And so then someday when you do start to eat your normal amount again, you've adapted your metabolism to a lower amount. So now you don't have as much metabolically active tissue. Mm-hmm. You lost your, your muscle and you know, all the good things that we yeah. wanted. So the adaptation caused by chronic cardio and caloric restriction is less calories yeah. <laughs> being burned. Well, that's not what we wanted. And I think a lot of people will refer back to like traditional bodybuilder style approaches, right? Where they like do their morning cardio and they eat their like low fat, whatever, sometimes even low carb, like just high protein diets. And the thing people often ignore is that I'm not going to say most, but some 
uh, bodybuilders are already manipulating their hormones with exogenous, you know, methods. Mm, yeah. And mm-hmm. that can lead to so much damage down the road. There are so many previous bodybuilders that like now their metabolism is fucked, mm-hmm. you know, like from, from doing just that. I spent two years doing bodybuilding before CrossFit, like figure competitions, mm-hmm. doing all that wacky dieting and low fat, high protein, and then ultimately just low food, <laughs> right? Low fat and low carb, just yeah. protein. Um, yeah, the rebound is real when yeah. you start to eat real food. I think after one competition, because you're dehydrated as well, yeah. within the first 48 hours after, I'm pretty sure I put on more than 30 pounds, like the rebound was wild. Um, and then there are, so as much as there are coaches dedicated to like, getting you into competition shape. Mm -hmm. There is an entire industry built around managing the bounce after. That's a whole thing in itself now of of healing people from the fucked up metabolic adaptations they initiated by trying to get super lean on stage for one day, which is why we're not talking about that. We're not talking about those people. Those people are not, they're looking for aesthetics. They're not looking for health or performance or any of those types of things. Absolutely. They're lean to a fault. Yeah. So we've got, how to burn more calories at rest, which is have more muscle. We've got how to prevent the calories that you do take in from being directed to storage, which Mm. is keeping insulin low and stable. Um, And you increase your ability to use insulin by fasting, sprinting, sleeping, um, and just keeping carbohydrate intake periodic and strategic. Right. Uh, Limiting, you know, avoiding refined fructose for sure. Keeping fruit intake to like seasonal, um, local, nearby, Honestly, the fruit that you find in the grocery store, there's nothing natural about that. If you look at like a, a wild banana, like go look up the pictures of like a wild watermelon. It's like those things mm-hmm. look nothing, they're like unrecognizable. They look nothing like what you find in the grocery store. Yeah. It's in the grocery store has been selectively bred for maximum sweetness, maximum sugar, minimum rind, minimum fiber. Right. You know, it's like basically just candy. Dessert. <laughs> basically just candy, which... You know, enjoy it periodically. Yeah. Once in a while. It's just don't make that the bulk of your diet. Right. Um, so then intake. So we've basically talked about like expenditure or avoiding storage. Now we need to talk about how to make our energy intake, which is our appetite, match our energy expenditure, or maybe even make it slightly below. Right. But not in the way where we cause an adaptation that down regulates our metabolism. So we've got to be tricky. We've got to be sneaky. We gotta make sure our cells have all the fuel they need and that they don't know whether it came from the diet or whether it came out of our, our stored energy or fat tissue. It came right. out of your own butter <laughs> on your butt, basically. So there is a bit of a myth out there that our natural state, our, what the conditions we evolved under was chronic um, food scarcity. And so it's called the thrifty gene hypothesis that the natural state of the human being isn't constantly as hungry as possible. When we're in contact with food, we're just supposed to eat as much as possible because it would help us survive. Hypothesis, thrifty gene hypothesis. Totally not true at all. There's never actually been any evidence to support an actual thrifty gene. Mm -hmm. Like literally in the human genome, there's no thrifty gene. It's not a thing. Um, Natural living, hunter-gatherer tribes, even experiencing the most food abundance, they don't eat past a natural... Like they don't exceed a natural healthy body weight. Mm-hmm. They don't get to be 600 pounds, even if they live in the most abundant, you know, animals for hunting and fish and coconuts and like, you know, nuts and seed, like calorically dense food, 
they don't do it. So right. this whole idea that our appetite is just constantly on overdrive is not natural. We, the way we eat now is such a perversion of like processed food that we all just take it for granted. Like you're just hungry all the time. Right. You're not supposed to be hungry all the time. That's not normal. Yeah. Your appetite is supposed to match. Your need is supposed to match your, your intake, your want, your want is supposed to match your need. Right. So how do we regulate our appetite? Got to eat real food. What's the common characteristic to our natural living hunter gatherer people? They're only eating real seasonal, local unprocessed foods. Right. So that's step one, eat real food. Pretty simple. Um, you got to prioritize protein. All animals eat to a, all mammals eat to a protein target and then they stop eating. In humans, dropping the, the protein content of your diet from just 15% to 13% will cause you to eat three to 500 calories more per day. Your, your appetite is looking for protein. Right. So you got to prioritize protein, which is like why my top athlete foods are red meat, organs, eggs, like, you know, high, good quality protein foods. Mm-hmm. Nutrients tend to follow protein. So if you're prioritizing whole, like whole food protein sources, you're generally more nutrients are going to follow those things. Right. So that's why I would rather you eat steak and eggs than rely on protein bars and shakes and things right. where we've sort of you know, taken the nutrients out. Because you're, you're taking a protein in combination with some sort of carb or sugar alcohol or some kind of weird yeah, thing it's, with it's, those refined. Yeah, the protein bars, then you're getting some protein, but you're not getting like the heme iron and the B vitamins and all the things that were supposed to be packaged in there right. with that steak. So can you eat too much protein or is it basically like self-satisfying? It's pretty self-regulating um, because you just don't want to. Yeah, It's really difficult to overeat protein. There is a disease called rabbit starvation. So when they had um, explorers heading west during the gold rush and they were, the only food they could find was like they would hunt rabbits. Rabbits are super lean. So they were getting only protein and no carbohydrate and no fat. Your body's not great at making energy from protein. You can do it a little bit, but it's not a good system. Mm -hmm. So when there just wasn't any, like fat and carbs are energy. Take your pick where you want to get your energy from. Protein is not great for energy. A little bit, can't really do it much. Um, so you end up with like this excess nitrogen secretion at the kidneys and you end up with like a, actually a muscle wasting disease, um, where you get really skinny and diarrhea and all that kind of stuff in the modern world. No one would do that. Right. But it, it, there is an upper limit to the amount of protein okay. that you could but take in. Protein Maybe and fat together. Protein and fat. Get- great. Cause then you're getting all the energy you need yeah. and you can even do it with protein and carbohydrate. Yeah. A low fat diet. It's just much harder to control your appetite. Yeah. That's the biggest you can do thing it. Me. You can stay lean on protein and carbs. Yeah. It's possible, but you do it by force and not naturally. Yeah. Because you're going to have to white knuckle through your appetite. If I have carbs in the day, like if I have toast with my breakfast and my breakfast is actually my lunch because I eat it at one or two, I'm super hungry for the rest of the day. Yeah. I Which just, is weird to think that you ate more calories. Yeah. But it made you less satiated. Yeah. Right. So you can eat less calories, just skip the toast, eat the same bacon and eggs or steak and eggs yeah. and you'll want to consume less calories the rest yeah. of the day yeah so for me if i'm gonna have carbs i have them at the end of the day mm. so that it's minimal effect on my hunger and i can just like brush my teeth be done with eating for the <laughs> night and then go to sleep go to bed yeah. <laughs> crash and go to sleep um i mean again keeping your appetite under control is sleep right we've talked about sleep every single time if yeah. you notice the common theme the importance of a good night's sleep um 
keeping your appetite under control, avoiding artificial sweeteners. So like diet sodas, people that Mm -hmm. consume diet sodas actually consume more calories overall, um, more likely to be obese. Yeah. So even though it's like that thing in itself has no calories, we have to go, what is the adaptation, you know, caused by this thing? And the adaptation is an upregulation of the appetite because you're, it's confusing, right? Things should taste like what they are. Yeah. And so if something tastes sweet, your body, it's called cephalic phase insulin response. Immediately, as soon as you taste it, your brain is like, okay, sugar's coming in. We're, that's going to be a panic attack. We're mm-hmm. going to have to keep blood glucose under control. So you start secreting insulin. And then there's this insulin, but there's no sugar coming in. So insulin kind of overcorrects. Now you have a hypoglycemic event, not enough blood sugar. So now that makes you sort of, that's another type of panic mode. Right. <laughs> now you're seeking out, you know, emergency, easy, quick, refined carbs. Yeah. Um, so it actually makes you consume more, not less. Yeah. I think such an easy jump off point for anybody is just stop drinking carbohydrates, you know, like don't drink sugary stuff. Don't drink juice. Don't drink anything that tastes sweet. Yeah. It's just not. Yeah. Number one. Well, okay. So I said no vegetable oils and the last one is the number one most important thing. I might have to bump that to number two Mm. as the number one most important thing is no liquid sugar. Yeah. There's no need ever. No juice, no pop. Yeah. Even ditch the diet sodas. Like just be an adult and drink water. Yeah. Hydro homies. <laughs> I remember working in a restaurant and I got free pop. So I would drink it all the time. And I remember like my boss sitting me down when I started managing and he was like, I know what you're going through, man. I'm like, what? He's like, you know, you're not serving anymore. You're not walking around as much. You're starting to chub up a little. And I was like, what? <laughs> I'm chubbing up a little. Oh shit. And the first thing I did was I stopped drinking iced tea. Cause that was my thing. I would just drink Orange. iced tea all shift and I like lost 10 pounds within Mm -hmm. two weeks you know like it just fell off me just from that yeah okay so no liquid sugar no liquid sugar you know we can strategically use some carbohydrates but in whole food you need to chew them whatever carbs you're gonna eat you have to chew yeah (laughs) can we make that a baseline rule (laughs) must chew your must chew food must chew food um a healthy gut microbiome Mm -hmm. You are basically a meat puppet being ruled and run by a whole colony of little microbes in your guts and all over. You, There are more microbial cells than there are human cells in you. You are more bacteria than you are you. Sweet. Sweet. So you're yeah, a meat puppet being ruled by bacteria. <laughs> so you need to keep those little microbes healthy. When you feed them sugar, they love sugar. They give out um, endorphins and opiate-like chemicals Mm. that travel through the vagus nerve up to your brain, and you get addicted, in a sense, to these feel-good chemicals. But it's not you. But it's not you. They're being delivered by your bacteria. And Mm. so then when you um, are low in those feel-good chemicals, then guess what? You seek out sugar to feed the bacteria. They're kind of running your shit, right? Mm -hmm. So you need to make sure you populate the non-sugar-loving ones. There's good bacteria, bad bacteria. Um, so things that support a good gut microbiome, whole foods, healthy fats, collagen, avoiding processed food, vegetable oils, sugar, um, artificial sweeteners are particularly bad for the gut microbiome. And then some fiber and then something called resistant starch can also be helpful too. So that's like if you cook a potato and cool it or white rice and cool it, um, you, the, starch starts to form chains called resistant starch that you don't digest, but your gut bacteria can, and they Mm. like it. So you're healthy 
gut microbiome. What about like probiotics? Yeah, the science on the probiotics is not settled. Mm. Um, there's a lot science does not know about the gut microbiome. Probiotics, there's some question about whether, you know, if it's in a capsule, is it just dead? Mm. Some of them like live culture probiotics are like ones you have to keep in the fridge. You're probably better off getting like probiotic or prebiotic foods, like fermented foods are awesome. So right. like your sauerkraut, kimchi, like real yogurt, um, all those kinds of things that come with um, helpful microbes. Yeah. A little bit of fermented food, a little bit of sauerkraut, um, sour pickles, lots of fermented foods. That yeah. stuff's great for. And you just have to be careful with that stuff too, because often to make it delicious, they add a whole bunch of sugar. Yeah. Right. Like yogurt. Yeah. So that's why I mean real yogurt, yeah. like just. Just yogurt. And like homemade, maybe you can do it in an instant pot. Pretty easy with a little bacterial culture. Make your own good stuff. Yeah. Um, and then I've touched on vegetable oils in the last one and just briefly right now. Yeah. Not made from vegetables, made from seeds in a 27-step industrial chemically extracted process. So one of the things you can always ask yourself is, could I make this in my own kitchen? If I gave you olives, you can make olive oil. You right. Just squish them. Olive oil is just olive juice. It just happens to be lipids instead of sugar. You can make, you know, you could, I could give you milk from a cow and you could make cream. That's real. You know, it's like yeah. pretty simple. If I gave you canola seeds, you couldn't make canola oil. Right. You can't do it. You, you need a insane industrial processing. You need hexane to extract. Like you couldn't do it. I think I have hexane in our fridge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, Franken fats, totally unnatural industrial Franken fats. They are high in a particular type of omega-6 fat called linoleic acid. Linoleic acid in particular is uh, uniquely toxic in more than even the tiniest amounts. It's, it is an essential fatty acid. You do need it, mm -hmm. but maybe two grams per day. You don't burn it for energy. It's a fat that you don't use it for energy. It's, it's structural mm -hmm. in the phospholipids of your cell membrane. So you need a very small amount, but you can't make it yourself. You do have to get it. You would get it in natural amounts from animal fat. Okay. They eat grass and seeds and alfalfa and all kinds of stuff out in the field. So the tiny amount of, of um, linoleic acid that you need, you would get from good quality animals. Right. What we have now is pure, refined. People are getting as much as 70% of their fat calories from this stuff now wow. when you need it. It's such a tiny amount. So it's like really wildly high toxic and levels. It, is it one of those things where they thought a little bit is good, so a lot must be great, or is it just... It's easy to make and cheap and easy and cheap. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the linoleic acid acts on your endocannabinoid system, which upregulates your appetite at the hypothalamus, increases your appetite. Munchies. Exactly the same as cannabis. Mm. So if you've experienced <laughs> the cannabis munchies, that upregulation of your appetite is exactly what's happening when you eat vegetable oils. Mm. So if you would like to have natural appetite control and not overeat, which is just defined as eating more than you needed, you need to avoid vegetable oils at all costs. Yeah. Canola, corn oil, soybean, sunflower, safflower, rice bran, know them, memorize them, read food labels, avoid them at all costs. Replace them with natural, healthy fats. Yeah. Um, your fully saturated, uh, like room temperature fats are better for high heat cooking, beef tallow, butter, ghee, lard, bacon fat. Um, your monounsaturates, your fruit fats are better for like salad dressings and things that you're not going to high heat cook. So that's like your olive oil, um, avocado oil, 
that kind of stuff, and then avoid the processed vegetable oils at all costs. As a good example of how vegetable oils get you to overeat, um, there was a study done with French fries. So McDonald's French fries made now are made with vegetable oil, fried in vegetable oil, and they made fries the old way, fried in beef tallow. So animal fat, healthy, saturated natural fats. Two groups of people, they had them eat ad libitum, which means they just ate as much as they want until they didn't want any more um, in a setting where there's just kind of an unlimited amount of French fries. The group with the vegetable oil fries consumed 60% more calories from the fries versus the group with the beef tallow fries. So the beef tallow, the natural fat, comes with natural appetite suppression. The vegetable oil group comes with like chaos, a complete break in the, the, the link that should be there between your appetite and your need. Mm. Um, so vegetable oils break that link, which is great for food processors that want to sell you more food. Yep. I have a undergrad and a master's degree in finance and marketing. A huge portion of marketing is dedicated to food marketing. Yeah. Huge. So, you know, in those years of those studies, I spent a lot of time <laughs> looking at the processed food companies. They literally in the textbooks have a, a problem that they call the problem of the fixed stomach, <laughs> which means it's really hard for, for food companies to increase their profits year over year to their shareholders of anything above inflation because there's only so many people, the population only grows so fast, and a, a people only eat so much. People are supposed to have a natural upper limit to the amount of food that they eat. Mm-hmm. So the processed food companies literally have task forces dedicated to fixing the problem of the fixed stomach right. of getting people to eat more to get you to shove more food in your face and one of the boons for the processed food industry was the invention of vegetable oils mm. because it gets you to consume way more than you would if they were feeding you natural foods right so and it's in everything check God. your food labels they're everywhere yeah. yeah um but like we talked about in the last one if you sub out vegetable oils it doesn't there's nothing that you can't have it just means you're going to have to be more selective yeah. and you might have to make it at home. Yeah. But there are um, potato chip companies now that are making avocado oil yeah. potato chips. So even if you're like, oh, I want to have some chips and dip, you could do that. You yeah. can do it without vegetable oils. There's uh, the co-op near us has like a white cheddar popcorn, but they pop it with coconut oil versus the smart food major label brand is yeah. vegetable oil, right? So it's like, oh, you can still have those little snacky treat kind of things here and there, Yeah, but you... You read labels and you get real selective. And I think that a lot of people get hung up on the cost. And it's like, yeah, those options are more expensive. But A, you're probably going to eat less. Mm -hmm. And B, it's your health. You know, like you're either going to pay a little bit more to take care of your health now or you're going to pay with your future and being super sick and going through all kinds of medical treatment and, you know, living and suffering Mm -hmm. because you didn't make these good choices early on. Yeah. Okay. So how to get leaner. In summary, to conquer the problem of how to eat less and how to burn more. Yeah. Multifactorial process. Muscle. Prioritize your muscle mass. Lift heavy. Eat and, you know, recover in a way that supports your lean body mass so that you burn more calories all the time on automatic, on autopilot. Right. Um, Direct more of the energy that you take into expenditure by keeping insulin levels low and stable, avoiding uh, large blood glucose excursions so you keep carbohydrate intake low and infrequent. Um, when you do, you prioritize um, starches. They're best timed after a super hard sprinty workout. Yeah. Um, you avoid refined fructose, which is sugar, 
and juice and, and like excessively sugary fruit. Incorporate a little bit of fasting, minimum 12 hours, try to push it to 14 or 16. And I mean, I've said sleep like 400 times. Yeah, <laughs> get sleep. A, get a good sleep. And also avoid chronic cardio, which assuming I'm preaching to the choir here with the CrossFitters, that's why we do CrossFit is so we don't yeah. have to go to two hours on an elliptical machine anymore. We're all yeah. kind of on board with that. Um, and then to keep the calories in at a, at a normal or functional level, we need to eat real food, whole unprocessed food, prioritize protein, nutrients follow protein. So you, your appetite stops when you've reached your ceiling of needs of protein and nutrients, um, support your good gut microbiome, also avoiding sugar, but avoiding artificial sweeteners as well. Throw in a little bit of fermented foods into your diet, also sleep well. Um, and then avoiding the fucking vegetable oils like the plague. Just get <laughs> them out. Get them out. <laughs> so right, there yeah, you go. Get there lean. You go. Get lean. Beach body, six pack abs. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys.